Are we getting too hung up on habit formation? My answer coming up next. Welcome to Happily Ever Active, where we crack the consistency code with fitness tips on motivation, mindset, and much, much more. Now, here's your host, author of Feel Like It, and the guy with the silent O, Kelly Dell. Welcome, everyone. My name is Kelly. I'm really glad you're here with me again. I hope you've just had a satisfying week of physical activity filled with movement that resonated for you. As usual, my fitness activity was a buffet where I got to taste a lot of different things this week, um, things that I like to do. I think the big highlight was a uh, skate race on the world's longest skating rink that's here in Ottawa on the Rideau Canal. It was put on by a group called November Project, a free fitness movement that you'll find in most major cities in North America. And it was a lot of fun. I mentioned in the last episode I'd been struggling with some knee soreness, which concerned me, but skating seemed to be a pretty friendly activity for it. And that was on Saturday. And then on the Sunday, I did a uh, running event here in Ottawa called Winterman. I originally had registered for the half marathon, but because of that knee soreness, I knocked things down to a 5K and uh, protected my knee a little bit. And it felt great. So I feel very good about that because, of course, as you guys know, one of the big obstacles to enjoyable fitness is when you're doing it when you feel sick or you are injured, something's bothering you. And by default, your uh, your sessions, your workouts, whatever, really stink. So I'm pretty conscious about that relationship. So I take it easy when I can. Skating seemed to be the theme for me over the last seven days because another local morning fitness group that I'm a part of called the Arboretum Hill Club put on a half hour skating workout on Friday morning. So that was a good test of my knee and that was a lot of fun. 25 of us or so came out and again, that was on Ottawa's Rideau Canal. So all in all, it felt really like a prototypical Canadian week of activities, I guess. After episode five, last week's episode, where I invited you to step out of any rut you were in and seek out activity you liked the most, I hope you had an uplifting week as well. So let's keep things rolling into the next seven days and consider episode five, which I called Disrupting the Rut, a standing invitation to go out and keep seeking resonating fitness activities as often as you can. Changing gears, I wanted to make a small request of you. I've received Many encouraging comments about these early episodes. I'm very grateful for those. Thank you to those who've left comments and uh, have rated the show. That's terrific. Please take a moment, if you haven't already, to rate the show. Leave a comment about what you like about it. That would be great. And as a second request, maybe take a screenshot of the cover and share it on Instagram or some other social medium and tag it happily ever active show and help me spread the good word, if you will, about the mental side of living a positive, active lifestyle. That would really help out a lot. And thanks in advance for all of you guys who do that. That would be terrific. Now, to the topic at hand, another deep dive into one of those terms, one of those concepts we hear so often in today's fitness discourse, but we hardly challenge it. And that is habits, habit formation. So, It begins with your seatbelt. Did you put one on today? When you did, did you think about it at all? What about washing your hands? Brushing your teeth? Were these things pretty automatic? It takes some type of conscious act to do activities that are beyond the simple and 
that consciousness really increases with the more complex behavior that you get yourself into. As you've heard a lot recently, likely, it takes 66 days in a row to establish a habit. And you might have even seen that number reach 21 days. So 21 or 66 days. This figure has been widely embraced today and it emerged really from a misinterpretation of the research, especially if it's applied to physical activity and developing a sustainable routine. And you'd think that habits and habit formation is an integral part about sustainability, but we have to be a little bit careful and tread carefully around this concept. Okay, and I want to break that down a little bit more today. As usual, we're quite obsessed with coming up with a specific metric. It feels good to know that, hey, in 21 days, as long as I go to the gym six or seven days a week, I've nailed it. I've got myself a new fitness habit. And 21 days sure sounds doable and realistic, even if the number is ultimately nonsense, especially when we strip away the context from it. So let's dive into this a little bit and explore the notion of habit. A habit is basically an externally triggered automatic response to something that we frequently encounter in an environment. They are actions that are triggered automatically in reaction to contextual cues. And this behavior, this type of behavior in our lives is called cognitively efficient. There's not a lot of thought that goes into them. It's sort of stimulus and response. You perform many efficient processes in your daily life, most of them with very little thought and in reaction to certain cues. So for example, using the examples that I introduced the show with, washing your hands is the action that is often, uh, that is often triggered by going to the toilet. You put on your seatbelt after getting into your car and sitting down. This is really about associative learning. That's the gist of the habit game. There's some research that shows that good things start happening on this front after two months of repetitive participation in a behavior. But this research also says that traction on habit formation really happens when the behavior is simple, like washing your hands, which is a very simple behavior that requires very little thought anyway. One example that comes up is establishing the routine that after you eat breakfast that you have a vitamin or you take your medicine. You establish a very simple stimulus and response to a particular cue, which is finishing your breakfast or breakfast in general. Something more complex is engaging in more scripted behavior, more complex behavior like physical activity. Going for a ride on your bike, which requires many steps and therefore more potential resistances to commence and complete is an example. And here's what I found interesting in the habit formation research that doesn't really get a whole lot of airtime. If you expect a habit to form sooner than it is able to, you're more likely to feel dejected and demotivated and quit that behavior. So again, a common cultural belief is that all you have to do is go to the gym for 21 days or 66 straight days and you'll slay that dropout monster. This is, this belief is an obstacle to sustainable fitness. That if we believe something that is ultimately untrue for the behavior that we're trying to create, that it can be an obstacle, that belief can be an obstacle. So that cultural maxim, that, that fitness rule that it takes 21 or even up to 66 days to get into something that is sustainable is a bit of a trap. And we have to watch 
how we follow those rules, how we integrate those ideas into our life. Logic would have it once again that if you hate exercise and you keep repeating demotivating fitness experiences, the likelihood of anything becoming automatic is small, including popping out of bed to go take that class or go to the gym or do something that you dislike. So finding attractive experiences is still crucial. Even if your goal is to create a relatively mindless routine where you do healthy things, but still ultimately go through the motions, going through the motions with something that you, at a bare minimum, you know, don't hate is still better than something that you do hate, right? I mean, that's just simple logic. So that stuff is important. The attractive experience, the attractive fitness experience matters, even in the process of habit formation, if that concept really applied to more complex behaviors like running, like going to the gym and taking that boot camp class, etc. Now let's catch our breath a bit here. As usual, I've started off pouring a lot into the cup and I want to do a little bit of a reset based on that last point about going through the motions. A question automatically, at least to me, comes to mind. Given all the things we have to do in our lives, not just in fitness but beyond, things we really do actually mindlessly meander through because it's a responsibility, why would you want to allocate any more of your precious time going through the motions? Why would you want to add another mindless thing onto the pile? Why would you want to turn something potentially so freeing and enjoyable, of course, and healthy, into a chore or yet just another job, another thing to do on your list? And I say that especially when you don't have to. The desire for habit formation and fitness to me rests on this premise. And that premise is that fitness stinks. That's the no pain, no gain concept. The fitness isn't inherently enjoyable. It's a necessary evil, if you will. Clearly, anything you can do to fight through that evil while getting the benefits of it would be useful. And by now, even five episodes in, you know that I call BS on that belief as a whole. Fitness doesn't have to stink. Even though the no pain, no gain mindset is still really, really popular and very present in the fitness discourse today. That means what we attempt to make mindless really matters. And there are some things in our routines that we can automate with regular practice. Getting up when our alarm goes off is one of them. And here's where philosophy really can come into play. So let's take it in that direction and challenge ourselves a little bit. By now, that should not be a surprise that I'm going to take it in this way. First off, I think it's a disservice to claim that a really healthy habit can form really quickly. I believe that it can take years for habit to form and several years to undo a bad habit. So if you're hoping that going to the gym every day for 30 days will unlock some sort of magical power, I can tell you that that's probably unlikely. I wish you luck in that endeavor, but it's still probably unlikely, especially if your relationship with fitness has been, or currently is, a turbulent one. So the relationship here is really key. So if you haven't listened to episode three on fitness being a relationship, please check that out because it has relevance here. And as usual, I'm going to be referring to those first four episodes of the podcast quite regularly. It's not long, so feel free to pause it here and give that a visit. Listen, physical activity will always be driven by some 
sort of conscious intention more than anything else. To believe otherwise is mostly wishful thinking because it is a deliberate, complex undertaking that includes usually a series or a long string of behaviors that are hard to automate. Attempts at turning it into something mindless are, dare I say, hyperbolically doomed. But like a host of other health behaviors, we tend to fantasize about exercise eventually being an automatic act, not unlike washing our hands or brushing our teeth or putting on our seatbelts, like mentioned earlier. We desire that preventive behaviors become part and parcel of the automaticity of our lives, and it just doesn't really work that way. And it's tempting to say here that wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice to have physical activity, all of those things to be a mindless automatic thing in our lives? Wouldn't that be nice? But I can't say that. That is not my position. If that's your position, that's fine. I will not judge you for that, but I cannot say that, and I need to elaborate here. You know how most people have a favorite sports team or a movie or an animal and stuff like that? Well, at the risk of exposing my geekdom, I have a small collection of favorite academic articles, ones that really made an impression upon me and still do when I revisit them. One of my all-time favorites was published in the Journal of Sport and Exercise Psychology way back when, so I'll probably date myself a little bit here. In 1997, Dr. James Maddox wrote a piece entitled Habit health, and happiness. If you're wondering, the English patient won Best Picture that year, and songs like Foolish Games by Jewel and Mbop by Hanson dominated the radio. So yeah, that was a long time ago. But Maddox's reflections are perhaps more relevant today than ever. And above anything else, I want to pull out some of the lessons I learned from that reflective piece, which was really about the interplay between habit, health, and happiness. And so, because the theme of this podcast is positive interactions with fitness, this article really fits in this episode. So, let's dive in a little bit. Essentially, the relationship between three of our most common quests in life, which is the quest for happiness, our quest for better health, and really our quest for positive habit formation, gains little attention, at least in North America, and dare I say, especially back in the 1990s. Today, I would say, based on my observations, we are a little bit more woke to these ideas. We are kind of starting, if not in the middle of a transformation, to valuing mindfulness in a more profound way than we did perhaps 20, 30 years ago. That's just my observation. Of course, we know, for example, that being unhealthy can be an unhappy situation. So how our health manifests itself has a direct link to us being happy, clearly. But where it gets a little quirky is when the notion of habit is introduced into the equation, especially as it's commonly discussed today, as I discussed earlier in the episode. This introduces the tension between mindlessness and mindfulness. Now, I'm not going to go too far into either of those ideas. They'll come up periodically, but today they really do clash, and so we need to talk about them just a little bit. So here's what I mean by that. Striving for automaticity, which is often intended to yield a set of desired health effects, may not make us happy because happiness requires some degree of meaningful connection to the moment. Mindlessly performing exercise, if that's even possible, wipes out the opportunity to experience the joy of the act as we do it. Of course, as you'll hear me keep repeating, we do not learn the mindset or the skills necessary to experience physical activity as joyfully as we could. So don't feel badly if you haven't solved this part of the puzzle yet. 
It really is the exception than the norm to have a love affair with exercise these days. So as a thought experiment, let's say that, yes, running or yoga or lifting weights could be a fully automated, mindless activity that could be done on autopilot. For that hour or so of the day, you can just be whisked away on the wave of habit without thinking much about that ride. And of course, in so doing, you are participating in healthy behavior and really a a strong preventive behavior that can pay dividends down the road, potentially years down the road. So this all begs a question that James Maddox slammed the reader with in his piece that I mentioned. And I'm going to take a quote here. He said, do we really expect to engage in these behaviors automatically and without awareness? Do we really expect that these behaviors will no longer be under our volitional control? Even if we could, would we want to? And I know he meant this question rhetorically, but I can't help but jump on it. That was one of the things that struck me about this article. To me, the answer is a loud yes if our relationship with fitness is by and large a negative one, like a relationship where there's no emotional return on investment of all that physical energy we keep dumping into exercises. Under such a dynamic, habit formation seems like a very attractive proposition. Sign me up. Please automate this ordeal. But here's the thing. Most physical activity requires way too much deliberation, planning, and preparation to be susceptible to habit formation. So again, even to think about the act of exercising as being a habit is erroneous. And sure, as I pointed out, parts of it could be habitual, but exercising is generally way too complex. It's not like washing your hands, even though we sort of treat it that way. I use the word fitness routine a lot for a reason. A routine is a series of deliberate mindful actions. It's a large step up from the simple behaviors that we can easily make habitual, like putting on our seatbelts. And as a personal example, I walk my dogs every day, every single day, sometimes twice. Most of this process is still very deliberate and mindful. There's not a lot automated in the process. Maybe hooking up the leash to their harnesses is one of those automatic, simple behaviors. But choosing where I'm going to walk them, how long, whether we're going to drive to a park, requires a lot of mindfulness. It's not simple. Even as we walk, there are countless decisions I have to make. No walk is ever the same. Sometimes we encounter people or other dogs. Are there cues that trigger the commencement of the walks? Absolutely. But even those require more deliberation than you would expect. There's a lot of dynamic moving parts to the whole process. So if there's an opportunity for habit formation, we definitely need to look at the behaviors similar to snapping our seatbelts that can become a habit, but not just any behaviors. The ones that automate showing up to exercise to begin require our attention. At least that's my opinion. And those can eliminate some of the friction to getting started. If we're planning to be more active first thing in the morning, creating an automatic desired reaction to your alarm would probably be one of them. A simple reaction to a cue in a specific situation that you encounter on a regular basis. So for you today, there's something a little deeper to think about when you reflect on your exercise history. Going back to the article, Dr. Maddox identifies an interesting chasm between Western and Eastern thought on this matter. And I find there's a lot of value in Eastern philosophy in living sustainably and happily in the process. So let's touch on that briefly. To us Westerners, happiness typically lies at the finish line. Eastern views tend to depict happiness as lying before you in the moment 
as it unfolds in front of you. Again, we're not adept, nor are we typically taught to create happiness in the here and now. We either wait for it to happen to us or we associate it with some sort of goal achievement that we have to earn. So happiness is earned. But this is why physical activity is so awesome. Despite rarely being taught how to find happiness in the moment, fitness can be a ferocious teacher. When you think about it, there are few activities out there that give such a barrage of feedback to us, a deluge of sensation for us to experience joy, and a variety of sensations. There's so many activities to choose from that there's definitely something out there that will resonate with us. Many approaches to health and fitness rely on the intellectual component of being active, as in, it's good for you, and because we know this, we should do it. While this position is clearly correct, it's not wrong, appealing to this position makes us indiscriminating with our fitness choices, often settling for painstaking, even painful fitness activity for the so-called future good, the stuff that makes us fight against the moment more than soak it up. This is the stuff that makes habit formation so very attractive. Again, if fitness stinks and you've had a haphazard, if not horrible, relationship with fitness in your history, yes, habits. Let's turn this into something mindless and automatic, please. Of course, this sort of self-sacrifice is not unique to fitness culture. It certainly has a home in today's fitness culture than anywhere else, as the discourse is currently littered with invitations to ignore the moment for the promise of future emotional returns. If you recall from episode one, which is on the pain pendulum, this is really about the physical side of the pain pendulum where physical activity is a physically painstaking, even painful endeavor. And you've heard self-sacrificing language before, the type of language that would make habit formation pretty attractive. You've heard phrases like, the pride lasts longer than the pain. If it feels tough, you're doing it right. You can feel sore tomorrow or you can feel sorry. That sort of stuff. You can see how many of these phrases portray physical activity as a false choice between painful participation or shameful failure. And instead of adopting these beliefs, Maddox implores us to learn to run when we're running, to lift when we're lifting, to bend when we're bending in yoga, to engage in the sensation that we feel. And in essence, although he doesn't go into the mechanics of this, learn to manage those sensations in a way that we like. And there's an obvious conclusion to this way of thinking about being active and about physical activity. An attitude that exercising is about taking time to play, to create, and express ourselves more than a time to work is really more sustainable. That's simple logic. And of course, research plays that out. As I've already returned to almost obsessively, a sustainable approach is more likely to yield the health benefits we already hold dear anyway. So where does that bring us? How about the question for the week? As you exercise, do you mostly look towards the end, fantasizing about the sweet relief of being done, or do you absorb and even celebrate the workout as it happens? As a cliche goes, we can't put the cart before the horse, but historically, this is exactly what the fitness industry does. After all, if we are not pursuing fitness for some future-oriented, self-sacrificial gain, why on earth would we ever do it? I want to say to you that there are many more reasons to do it. It's not a false choice between physical pain or psychological pain. It's not just because it's more enjoyable, fun, or meaningful, but because the research 
overwhelmingly shows how ineffective the common self-sacrificing painstaking methods are for most of the population. The pursuit of fast, short-term results, although tantalizing, are too often a trap, and worse, a negative relationship with physical activity and our body's forms. So when you put your seatbelt on next, think about this. That short, simple, healthy behavior that ends with that click is nothing like physical activity. So let's stop thinking it even can be and create something we don't want to mindlessly ignore when we do it. Which brings me to a quote from my favorite contemporary philosopher, Alan Watts, who nailed things with this commentary, and I'm pulling this right from Maddox's article. And Alan Watts is somebody that I grew to love over the years since being exposed to him in this article. This is what he says. If my happiness at this moment consists largely in reviewing happy memories and expectations, I am but dimly aware of this present. I shall still be dimly aware of the present when the good things I have been expecting come to pass. If, then, my awareness of the past and future makes me less aware of the present, I must begin to wonder whether I am actually living in the real world. With that, thanks for joining me again. Next week, I'll be sharing with you one of the most profound lessons I've learned about the concept of discipline in fitness. So look out for that episode to drop next week. Of course, give the show a follow on Instagram at Happily Ever Active Show or find it on Facebook. And until next time, here's to living happily ever active. This episode of Happily Ever Active has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more content on the mental side of fitness. Oh, and don't forget to rate and review the show. See you next time.